All right, if you'll stand with me as we turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 8, we'll be reading verses 26 through 40, and Pastor Bruce uh, continues uh, the series here in Acts, and uh, this morning's message about God who sends and saves. Again, we are in Acts chapter 8, we're reading verses 26 through 40, and you can find it on the Pew Bible on page 632 and 633. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this is desert. So he rose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. God, we just ask this morning that uh, through your message in this passage, God, you would challenge our hearts uh, as senders. Lord, you would prepare us as we um, approach a time of world outreach celebration uh, where those missionaries who have been sent and called by you to preach the gospel around the world, God, you would just uh, prepare our hearts uh, to send them, to encourage them, and Lord, that we may uh, be prepared to reach out to those around us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Kirk, for leading us in our scripture reading. Appreciate that. 25 years ago, this month, my wife lost something of great significance to the both of us. Her wedding rings. We were uh, on a youth hayride. Uh, we had just been recently engaged, and so she had her wedding ring plus her engagement ring, and they, they weren't even soldered together yet as one ring. And so she was wearing them. Uh, both of them loosely together on her finger. When we went on this youth hayride, and like all teens do on a hayride, they begin to do what? Throw hay. That's just what you do on hayrides. And so our youth group at that time, they're beginning to have this hay fight on this hayride. My wife and I are up there with them, and what do you think she begins to do? She can't and could not resist, and she begins to throw hay as well. And I tell you what, I'm on sitting over here, she's sitting over here, and she throws hay, and she has all of a sudden this look of dread and panic 
and fear just came over her face. I lost my rings! She screamed, and then I immediately screamed, Stop! Stop! Everybody stop! We had two caravans of a hayride on a, behind, pulling behind a tractor, and we stopped, and I said, Everybody stop and start searching through the hay. <laughs> we didn't find the rings in the hay. I said, Let's go back. Everybody get out. Let's walk. Let's try to find those rings. And let me tell you, we were doing everything to find those rings because those rings represented something of significance in our lives. For my wife, it represented all my love for her. And of course, for me, it represented a whole lot of money that was now lost. <laughs> in fact, I hadn't even paid for them yet. I was making payments on them. That's all I could think about. We've got to find these rings. And lo and behold, you can imagine the joy then that just swept over us, believe it or not, by the grace of God, a miracle of God, we found those rings. In fact, I believe Chris, Pastor Chris found one of them, and my wife found the other. I, can't, I, try, I asked my wife, do you remember who found these rings? She's like, oh, I, no, not really. And I said, you know what, it doesn't matter. We, just, we found them, and it was a glorious, glorious hayride after that. It was a miracle, no less. And I think that's kind of how most of us felt when we found Jesus. Man, an overwhelming sense of joy just filled our hearts. But the truth of the matter is that our coming to the Lord in saving faith was the result of God finding us. God was working in our lives opening our hearts to the gospel, and drawing us in to embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And so although there is this sense in which we were searching for God, once we were found, man, that's when we begin to realize, you know what, it was God who was really searching for me. God was orchestrating the circumstance in our lives. God was using His Spirit to, to open up our hearts to see the Gospel. God was using His Word to speak to us. And most of all, God was sending people to come alongside of us and to help us understand the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what we see happening here in Acts 8 in this story. We see a God who sends and saves. Now, on the surface of this story, it's describing a man who's in search of God. But underneath, or really above it all, it is describing a God in search of this man. God is on a mission. And it is evident in this story that God is on a mission to seek and to save the lost. And so he sends Philip to be a gospel witness on that mission. So here's the question. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as a church? What does that mean for me as an individual? What does that mean for you, individual, as you leave here this morning and go out to where you live and where you work? Well, this story has great relevance, great practical application for every one of us here this morning. And so let me just give you the big idea up front. We are sent to let them hear. We are sent to let them hear. God sends us to people who need Jesus Christ. But we must be willing to follow the Spirit's leading to let them hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Last Sunday, we left Philip in the middle of this revival in the city of Samaria where multitudes of men and women had come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And as a result of all this, there was this great joy in the city of Samaria. And we can all relate to that because when, when we came to saving faith in Jesus, what swept over us? What filled our hearts? Great joy. And so there's great joy in this city of Samaria. Peter and John, the leaders of the Jerusalem church, had been called in to validate it all, to lay hands on them so they would receive the Holy Spirit. And so now it's time for Philip to move on. And that's when God sends Philip from proclaiming Jesus to this huge crowd in Samaria to proclaiming Jesus, get this, to just one man on a desert road. We see this in the first verse of uh, Acts 8, verse 26, when it says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go. And later on in verse 29, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord said to Philip, Go. Now don't miss this. This is critical. God's method to let them hear is lay people. It's Christ followers like us. God wants to send you. He wants to send me to let them hear, just as he sent Philip to let this Ethiopian hear the gospel. God uses an ordinary Christ follower like Philip. Remember, Philip was, was one of the seven guys in the church of Jerusalem who was, who was appointed to serve widows. And due to persecution in the church, he is, he is scattered. And as he's scattered up into Samaria, he does what? He preaches Christ. And now God is using him. A, 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 a member of the church, a Christ follower like us, not the apostles. And he's using him to spread the gospel to Judea and Samaria. And now God is using him in this story to spread the gospel even to the ends of the earth. Get this, God's method for the mission hasn't changed. God's method for the mission hasn't changed. God is still sending Christ followers like us, like you, like me, to people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us of this in Romans 10, verses 13 through 15, where it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. And then Paul asks this question, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? We serve a God who sins and saves. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So, two simple truths here that I want to draw out for us out of this story. Number one is God sends us to people who are ready to hear the gospel. I hope you believe that this morning. God sends us to people who are ready to hear the gospel. If you truly belong to Jesus Christ, you are not merely living for Him, you are being led by Him. That is, God's Spirit is moving you to where he intends you to be in order that you might do what He intends you to do. And that's exactly what we see with Philip here in verses 26-28. through 28. Look at it with me again. Look in your Bibles. Open them up and see this. Or in your notes there. 
It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go. Go toward the south along the road which goes down to Jerusalem from Gaza. This is desert. And so he arose and he went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So just like with Philip, God is still sending us to people who are ready to hear the gospel. And the question for us this morning is, will we go? Philip was willing to go. In fact, Philip, notice this in your notes, goes to a certain place to meet a certain person who is ready to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The secret to Philip being used by God in this story is his willingness to be sent by God. He ran into this Ethiopian eunuch on the road to Gaza all because he was willing to go. There are only two roads. It's interesting. In fact, you'll, you'll see the map here on the, on the screen to kind of give you an idea of just geographically how this lays out in relation to Jerusalem there in the center. You have Samaria up north, which is where Philip was. And he travels all the way down past Jerusalem. You see point number two, the second road, through the desert to the city of Gaza. And there's only two roads from Jerusalem to Gaza. And God sent Philip on the desert road. That was far less traveled. It wasn't well protected by Roman soldiers. It was hot and dry. It was more risky to travel on that road, and that's the road that God sends him on. So the road to Gaza was not only a desert place, let me tell you, it was a deserted place. Gaza was, was this little nasty, out-of-the-way town, like one of those redneck hillbilly towns in the Ozarks. How many have passed through one of those towns before? Yes, it has one gas station, a Hardee's, and a bar and grill, and, and where suddenly and without warning, the speed limit changes to 25, and there's three police cars hiding behind a billboard just waiting for some out-of-towner like yourself to give you a speeding ticket. I want to ask if you've been there done that. Gaza was kind of like that town. And on top of that, Gaza was a Philistine town. And I can't go into the history of all that, but that simply meant that it's way out of the comfort zone for Philip, a Jew, to go to this city. And Gaza, as you can see from the map, it was very inconvenient to get to. Philip had to walk about 65 miles to get to this little town. And so on the surface here of this story, it seems like a crazy thing to do for Philip to go to this town from Samaria. Why leave now? Why go there? Think about it. In the midst of all that was going on in Samaria, I mean, Philip's almost like this Billy Graham type of guy with all these people coming to Christ. And in the midst of all this, God is sending Philip to the middle of the desert. You know this had to be just a little bit confusing for Philip. I'm sure he was thinking in his mind, God, what in the world are you doing sending me there? This doesn't make any sense. After all, God was using Philip in Samaria, and now he's sending him to Gaza? What is going on with this? But when God, And then on top of that, when God sent Philip, he didn't even know what God was going to do with him when he got there. God never told him, here's what's going to happen. 
He's almost like Abraham. He just says, go. So I'm sure it didn't make a whole lot of sense. It didn't make a lot of sense for him to leave what he was doing in Samaria to go to the desert near Gaza. And I'm sure we can all identify with this just a little bit because God's direction for our lives does not always make sense, does it? There are many times God's direction for our lives, it seems confusing, it seems illogical, and it doesn't seem like the best from our point of view, but that's because we can only see the small picture and not the bigger picture, not the bigger picture of God's plan and God's purposes that He is working out. But as confusing as all this was, Philip is obedient, and Philip goes. And at some point while he's walking down the road to Gaza, he runs into a certain man on a chariot. So who is this man? Well, we know he's an Ethiopian man. In fact, in that day, Ethiopia was basically all the land south of Egypt, what is today the Sudan and in modern Ethiopia. And so it was a huge area. In fact, the region of Ethiopia in that day was on the furthest most boundaries of the Roman Empire, almost 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem. And the Ethiopians were regarded as living on the, quote, edge of the world in that day. Which means that the gospel, get this, the gospel was about to spread into another geographical location established in Acts 1-8 when Jesus gave that mission. Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and, or the edge of the world. So he's an Ethiopian. We also know that he's a eunuch, which means he's been castrated. Because if you're going to work in the palace of the queen, they wanted to ensure that you weren't going to get a little frisky with the royal women in there. And so they took care of that. And if you have any questions about that, you can ask your grow group leader tonight. <laughs> in fact, it was somewhat common in that day and age that such men would even trade the hope of a family for the wealth and security and status among the rich and powerful. And perhaps that was the case for this Ethiopian eunuch. And then third, we also know that he's a court official. This guy was the treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia. And Candace was not her real name. That was kind of the, dy the dynasty name that they gave for all the queens of Ethiopia. And so he was very wealthy. He was very powerful. And in that day, most people traveled on foot. But this guy is traveling on a chariot, indicating his status, his prominence, his position, his power in life. And so here's the question. What are the chances then? What are the chances of Philip running into a man like this on a desert, deserted road to Gaza? I would say the chances are slim to none. But this is what you call a divine appointment by God. When you read this story, the, the fingerprints of God are all over these words. Yes, there are two human players in this story. You have Philip, and you have this Ethiopian eunuch, but above them all, 
God is organizing and He is orchestrating the events that unfold in this drama of salvation. As Oswald Chambers once said, God is the great engineer creating circumstances to bring about moments in our lives of divine importance, leading us to divine appointments. So here are two ways we see God working in this divine appointment between Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. Notice this. First of all, God arranges the situation in his providence. God arranges the situation in his providence. God tells Philip to leave Samaria and travel down the desert road to Gaza. In verse 27 says, So he arose and went, and behold, Philip travels all the way to this desert, deserted place. And behold, Luke says. In fact, that word behold is a favorite term of Luke that he uses even in his gospel, and now he's using it here. Behold. And behold, there happens to be this Ethiopian man riding by in his chariot at that very moment, who happens to be returning from worship in Jerusalem, and who happens to be reading the prophet Isaiah. But there is nothing coincidental about any of this. None of this just, quote, happened by accident. This is the providence of God arranging this whole situation for the purpose of salvation. Now, let me just stand back for a moment here and kind of let this sink in because this is a great reminder for us even today. This is a reminder that what happens in this world today is not chaotic. Even though when you read the news on your iPhone or whatever phone you have or your tablet or you watch the news on TV, and you see what's happening in our world and around our country, and you're like, where is God in all of this mess? Let this be a reminder that what is happening even today is not chaotic. It is still controlled by God himself. There is nothing random to even draw this into your life now personally. There is nothing random about who you are where you are in life at this moment, and even what you are doing. And that includes the good, the bad, and the ugly of our lives. We serve a God whose mind is all-knowing, whose hand is all-powerful, and whose will is always accomplished for His glory. And if you know this God, He's not letting you just meander your way through life based on your own navigation skills. No, he's, he's moving you through life, sovereignly arranging your path and whatever may come into your life. And if God is sovereignly arranging all of this, even into our personal lives, then we must be spiritually alert we got to be in tune to what God may be doing right in front of us at any, at any given moment of our day. Listen, I, from our viewpoint, the sovereignty of God is not like this script that we just follow, that we have in our hand with certain lines that we say and certain scenes that we act out. No, from our viewpoint, it's more like an improv 
Which is why we must walk in the Spirit. It's why we must be led in the Spirit so that we can now respond in the Spirit of God to what is happening in front of us each and every moment of our day. And yet, above all, what feels like an improvisation to us, there is this divine director who is arranging the set, arranging the scenes for His glory and for people who need to hear the gospel. Listen, let me encourage you not to just walk through your day oblivious to what God wants to do in your life and through your life. God wants to send you to people that are in your life, just as He sent Philip to this Ethiopian. God arranges the situations in His providence for that to happen. But number two, we also see that God awakens the seeker to hear the gospel. This is critical. This is, this is vitally important to saving faith. For we are born in sin, and we are blinded by our sin to our need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that Satan, and he describes Satan there as the god of this age or the god of this world, that Satan himself has blinded our minds to the gospel. So that then backing up into 1 Corinthians 1.18, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved by that message of the cross, let me tell you, it is the power of God. So unless God awakens our hearts, unless God opens our minds, we will see the gospel of Jesus Christ as nothing more than foolishness. So God has to awaken the heart. And that's what he does with this Ethiopian eunuch. He awakens his heart. He opens his mind. And he prepares him and makes him ready to hear the gospel. This guy had gone to Jerusalem to do what? To worship God. Why is that? He's an Ethiopian. What led him to make this thousand-mile trek from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to to learn about God. What would motivate such a man to do that? It's not like he got on a plane and flew there. Here's a guy who had made it to the top of his profession. He was wealthy. He was powerful. He was successful in life. But folks, can I tell you, he was spiritually empty. They had lots of religions in Ethiopia in that day. They worship things like the sun, even animals. But God is awakening him to the realization that there was more to life than just that. God is awakening him to the reality that the sun and the animals are wonderful things, but they are not the source of everything. And so he traveled to Jerusalem in search for answers to some of the greatest questions that mankind can ask. And more than likely, it was while he was in Jerusalem that he acquired a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. And so now, as he's traveling back to Jerusalem, he is sitting in his chariot, and what is he doing? He is reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unbelievable. I ask you again, what are the chances 
of a man like this who is burdened by his empty heart and is searching for answers, meeting someone like Philip on a lonely desert road to Gaza. Slim to none. But nothing is impossible when God arranges the situation and when God awakens the seeker to hear the gospel. Sometimes we talk about leading people to the Lord. And we all understand what we kind of mean by that. But the truth of the matter is, folks, listen, it's the Lord who leads us to people. And it's the Lord who leads people to himself. What we see here in Acts 8 is God sends us to people who are ready to hear the gospel. And the question is, are we willing to go? Are we willing to go like Philip went? Why? Why is it important that we go? Because God just may make them ready to respond to the gospel as well. Which brings us to the second point here. God sends us to people who are ready to respond to the gospel. This was certainly true for Philip when he ran into this Ethiopian eunuch. God had prepared him not only to hear the gospel, but God had made him ready now to respond to the gospel. Notice what happens next in verse 30. It says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Let me stop there. How in the world did the Spirit say that? You ever wonder that? Well, it doesn't tell us here, does it? But one of the things you find interesting as you read through the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit is, is big time involved in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to people and He is constantly sending people into mission for Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is active. And that's what we see here in the story. And so here in verse 30, the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Now I have to admit here, when I was growing up, and I'm going to age myself a little bit, flannel graph was really cool in Sunday school. How many remember flannel graph? All right, you just aged yourself with me. And so every time I read this story here, I had this visual image still impressed upon my brain of this flannel graph board and this little man dressed up in this Roman gargalia, whatever you call it. And, you know, he's got his sword and he's got this helmet on and he's riding in this little chariot thing. Think of how many have seen the movie Ben-Hur. Now I'm really aging myself. And the chariot's in Ben-Hur with one horse in front. And, and, he's, and he's got the scroll. And he's, he's, you know, and that's what you see on the flannel graph. And so that's what's impressed upon my mind. And yet that is not the image that's accurate here. Don't think of that. The chariot this guy would have been riding would have been something more like a big carriage and even an entourage with him. It would have been, this chariot would have been hoisted on the shoulders of, of you know, anywhere from six to 12 men, or maybe it was being pulled behind a team of horses. It wasn't just one horse and one little chariot with one man, him and him alone. No way. And so the Spirit tells Philip to go near and overtake this chariot, his chariot. And what does Philip do? I love verse 30. Look what it says. So Philip ran to him. you got to love it, don't you? He ran. I mean, I wish your kids would run to go do something when you tell them to go do something. Oh, man, wouldn't that be a blessing? 
So Philip ran to him. This means the chariot is moving. And Philip is running alongside of it. And he's calling out to him all at the same time. And it's somewhat of a comical picture, but it also points to a man here who was willing to do whatever is necessary in order to follow the Spirit's leading in his life. When Philip ran up beside the chariot, he hears this man reading the prophet Isaiah. And so Philip asked him, and get this, take note of this, he asked him one of the greatest questions you can ever ask when it comes to the Word of God and even the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice what he asked. Verse 30, do you understand what you are reading? It's a simple question, but it's a great question. Do you understand? And the Ethiopian eunuch called back in verse 31, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip then to come up and sit with him. Amazing, I love it. Come up here in my chariot and join me. He doesn't even know who Philip is. But he is, he's so much, God has opened his heart so much that he wants somebody to guide him through the prophet Isaiah. And that's when the wheels of the chariot stopped and the witnessing began, which brings us to this joy of salvation. Notice this, Philip explained the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This Ethiopian eunuch didn't understand who Isaiah was talking about, but Philip knew exactly who Isaiah was talking about, and it was Jesus Christ. Notice what he was reading in Isaiah. Here in Acts verse 30 and 33, it says, The place in the Scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shear, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Now, this is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 53. That chapter is kind of known as the, the suffering servant. It's all about Jesus Christ. And it was written about Jesus almost 700 to 800 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah had prophesied that the Messiah would be like a lamb led to the slaughter. That he would be wrongfully accused of crimes that he did not commit, but he would not open his mouth. And of course, we know from the Gospels that all of this came true. When Jesus stood before Pilate, he was accused of the most heinous crimes. And even though he had done none of them, he stood there in silence. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, beaten and punished for our sins, and he died on the cross in our place. And so as the eunuch reads this particular section of Isaiah, he recognizes something. He knows that it's talking about a specific person who is meant to do something for God's people. And he's trying to figure out who that person is. So the eunuch said to Philip in verse 34, I ask of you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? And notice what Philip does in verse 35. Then Philip, and what's the next? Then Philip, what's he do? Open his mouth. 
Folks, let that sink in for a moment. He opened his mouth. Listen, there is a, there is a truth about that our life is a witness of Jesus Christ. Our life and how we live life is a gospel testimony. But Philip had to open his mouth to communicate and explain the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just living out a life that follows Christ is not enough in being used by God to lead people to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. We have to open our mouth. We have to speak and explain who Jesus Christ is, what he has done for us. And then Philip, it says, opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. This is so beautiful. Philip just opens his mouth, and he starts sharing the good news about Jesus. I imagine Philip saying something like this. Oh, yeah, you got it, man. See that suffering servant there, led like a lamb to the slaughter? See what it's talking? I know who that is. Man, that is Jesus. And I'm sure Philip told him that Jesus is the Messiah. That is, he is the promised Son of God who died on a cross not too long ago. And when he died, God placed the sins of his people on the back of his son. And he died as that sacrificial lamb of God, offered up as a substitute for sinners like you and me who deserve to die ourselves. And I'm sure that Philip went on to tell him and explain to him that Jesus didn't stay dead. That God raised him from the grave. And that Jesus is alive today and he is able to save all those who will come to him in repentance and faith. I'm sure Philip explained all that to him. Because what we see next happen here, notice in your notes, the Ethiopian eunuch responded with faith in Jesus Christ and was baptized. Somewhere in the course of this conversation about Jesus, something happened. Something happened in this man's heart. His eyes were open, and he understood the gospel, and he responded with saving faith in Jesus Christ. He believed by abandoning any hope in himself and instead embracing Jesus Christ alone for his salvation. Look what it says here in verses 36 through 39. It describes now his salvation. Look what Luke writes for us. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now let me just stop there for a moment, because some of your Bible verses that you're holding right now don't include that verse, verse 37. Some of your Bibles have verse 37. And what that is, is most of manuscripts don't include verse 37. Verse 37 was added later on. Now having said that, that doesn't necessarily make verse 37 untrue. What is added in here is true. And so don't let that hang you up here. Notice what it says in verse 38. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now why did he want to get baptized? Man, he wanted everybody in his traveling caravan, in this entourage, to know what the Lord had just done for him. He's just been saved. 
He's just responded in saving faith, and he wanted to show that reality. He wanted to show his new life in Christ. And baptism is a picture of what took place in our lives. It's a visual representation of that. It's a visual illustration of that. In fact, sometimes we call this going public with your faith. It means you're publicly identifying with Christ as your Savior, and you're now committing to follow Him as your Lord. Was this man's salvation the result of, of Philip's witnessing? Yes, to some degree it was. God used Philip, just as God wants to use us, use you, use me. But there was something more going on here. Something miraculous took place here. God had worked in this eunuch's life and turned him to Christ. God had set His sovereign grace upon this man and had turned this sinner's heart to Himself to respond with saving faith in Jesus Christ. So, so take comfort in this. As you follow the Spirit's leading, and you begin to engage people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Understand, the work of salvation is a sovereign work of God's amazing grace. Salvation is of the Lord. And although God uses us in that process, it is God who awakens the heart to our need for Jesus Christ. And it is God who then awakens our need to turn to His Son, Jesus Christ, in repentance and faith. Look what happens next. This is great. I love this at the end of the story here, verses 39 through 40. It says, now when they came up out of the water, in fact, this is one of the reasons why we believe, as we, when we baptize, why we believe in baptizing by immersion. Um, the implication is when you come up out of the water, you are where to begin with. You are under the water. And so that's one reason why we as a church here at Glenwood, we believe when we baptize, we immerse you all the way. We, we want to get your whole body wet. I remember, I've shared this before, when I first, the very first baptism I ever did was a man I'd led to Christ, I led to Christ. See, I'm even using that phrase. It was God led him to Christ. Um, he was a co-worker of mine at UPS. And he started coming and was baptized. And he was my very first baptism. I was, man, I was probably only 20, 22 years old, 23 years old. And uh, he, he was a big dude. Not real, real big, but a little bit bigger than me. And I'm, I'm baptizing him, you know. And he didn't go all the way under. And I just went, <laughs> dunked him a second time. Had to get him all the way under. I'm like, Mike, we got to get it. And, and, of course, the whole, you know, everybody made fun of me and whatnot. And it was... I learned a lot there. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. It says, Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now, what we see here is the result of the good news of the Gospel. Notice this. Ethiopian eunuch leaves rejoicing in Jesus Christ. And Philip was found proclaiming Jesus Christ. Folks, listen to me again. We said this at the beginning. But great joy is always the result of saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's why this eunuch left 
rejoicing. He's just been given new life in Christ. But let me give you the context of this so you fully understand it. As important as this Ethiopian eunuch was in his own country, he would not be considered important in Israel among the Jewish people. As a matter of fact, he would have been looked down upon. He would have been excluded by the religious Jews of that day. The law was explicit in forbidding eunuchs the right to enter any part of the temple. In fact, some traditions say that there was a sign out in the front of the court of the temple that said, no lame, no blind, and no eunuchs may enter here. So put yourself in this man's shoes for a moment. In all likelihood, he is feeling like an outcast. He is feeling unacceptable and unworthy to worship God. And on top of that, he is surely weighed down by the guilt of his own sins against God. But when he hears, oh, when he hears the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for him, and that he can now be included in the family of God, man, I tell you, he leaps at the opportunity. He's overjoyed that he's welcomed in the family of God, now as a son of God, and not as an emasculated sinner. Is that not beautiful? Can you imagine? That's why he's rejoicing. Perhaps Philip even showed him that the Lord has special promises for eunuchs like him later on in the same book of Isaiah. You go three chapters over from where this guy was reading in Isaiah 53 to Isaiah 56. Listen to the words here in verses 3 through 5. It says, let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. In other words, the reference of a dry tree is he can't have a family. He can't have any offspring. He can't have sons or daughters. And now the gospel through Isaiah in the future of Jesus Christ is coming and it's saying, let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. That's the promise to this eunuch. And it is blowing him away. He is amazed by the gospel that God would do something like that for him. And so no wonder he leaves rejoicing in Jesus. And it's the first of great. He is of many Africans that would later come to know Jesus in the following centuries. It's amazing here. You may be wondering, so what in the world happened to Philip? Well, we find him, he is proclaiming Jesus in, a, in Azotus and onward. But how he gets to Azotus, man, that kind of just blows your mind, does it not? I mean, go back, look at what it says in verses 39 through 40. It says, when Philip and the eunuch came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Can you believe this? This is like some sort of pre-Star Trek teleportation. I mean, that's just what I think of. 
which is great for Philip because now he doesn't have to walk the 20 miles to Azotus after just walking 65 miles to Gaza. Now, don't focus on that, though, to the point where you miss the point. You say, what's the point? Here's the point. And it's interesting because it's the last point in the story. So it's the, it's the important point. It's, it's the, the critical point. It's the ending point. You say, get to the point, Bruce. I'm getting to it right here. It's what Philip does when he gets to Azotus. That's important here for us. And what's he doing? He is found proclaiming Jesus Christ. In other words, he is letting them hear the gospel. So get this. Stand back from the story a minute and get this. Let us soak in. The story starts with God sending Philip to people who need Jesus. And the story ends with God sending Philip to people who need Jesus. Why? Because our God is a God who sends and saves. And the question is for us this morning is, will we go? Will we go in order to let them hear about Jesus? Just as we heard about Jesus. Let me close with three ways that we all here can let them hear. And I need to do this quickly. I know I'm going long. Number one is to be ready to go when God sends you. Folks, listen, it's not if God sends you. It's when. And God is sending us all the time. And the reason most of us don't know that is because we're not in tune with God enough. We're not in tune with the Spirit enough to even realize God is sending us all the time. God is sending all of us locally to our neighbors and our co-workers, our friends and family and people that you go to school with. He is sending you every day. But God also wants to send, listen, there are some of you sitting here where God wants to send you globally across the world. He wants to send you in a global, cross-country, cultural context, what we would call as a missionary, but I don't want to use that because we're all missionaries. Most of us happen to be missionaries here locally, but there are some where God wants to send you globally as a missionary. Let me ask you, are you open to that part of God's plan for your life? That's why... That's why I can't encourage you enough to attend our yearly world outreach celebrations that we have every October. And of course, you know the one that's coming up here in a few weeks, October 21st to the 25th. You say, why go? Because it's an opportunity to interact with our missionaries. It's an opportunity to hear their passion of being sent by God and they're going and to be motivated and challenged and even convicted ourselves about how we need to go here locally, but also to partner as a church to help them go around the world. So let me encourage you to come. Be ready to go when God sends you. Number two, a second way, is to be obedient to the Spirit's prompting and leading. When was the last time you had a sense that the Spirit is sending you to a person or putting something in your heart to say something to someone? 
Are you, are you even listening with open ears? Listen, there are times when the Spirit will prompt you, nudge you, and press upon you to engage someone in a conversation about the Gospel. Will we be obedient to the Spirit's prompting and leading so that we can let them hear the Gospel? And remember this, if the Spirit of God is pushing you on your end, don't you think the Spirit of God has been preparing that person on their end to hear what you're going to talk about? And that's Jesus? You bet. Which brings us to number three. Be bold. Be bold in sharing the good news of the gospel. Just think, we get to be the instruments in the hands of God in sharing the gospel. And there is no better place to be than where God is at work accomplishing His great plan of salvation for sinners. So let me encourage you to go in the Spirit of God and boldly let them hear the good news about the Son of God. Let's pray. Before we pray, man, I just, I just want to encourage you to respond. To respond to God with whatever issue He has been working in your heart through His Word here in this message. Perhaps God's been speaking to you about being ready to go when He sins. Then respond. Perhaps God has been speaking to you about being obedient to the Spirit's leading. Or about being bold and sharing the Gospel. Maybe God is speaking to you about your need to be saved to put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, then let me encourage you to respond like this eunuch did. And maybe God is speaking to you about your need to be baptized. You, you know you're saved, you know you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but you have yet to be baptized. Then respond by filling out the communication card that you want to be baptized. However God is working in your heart, this is our time to respond when the praise team sings. Right where you're seated, just you and God, in prayer before him. As Zach sings, will you respond? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the example of Philip that is set before us. And may we be like him in our willingness to go to people who need Jesus and then be bold in sharing him. And Father, we ask that you would awaken people to respond with saving faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.